As a creator, one of the most important skills that we can learn is to get comfortable with evolving. In the last few years, our industry has gone through some massive shifts since it's so new. And with that has come plenty of highs and lows that we've really had to learn how to deal with. That's something that likely won't change for quite a while. When we think about how the industry has evolved, we think about things like the introduction of short-form video, creators finding new and innovative ways to monetize, the creator economy being worth more and more billions as the years go by, and the growth of social commerce. These are things we're going to have to get comfortable with and eventually master as creators. I'm Kristen Bousquet, and I've been a full-time creator for over three years and have brought in over $350,000 from sponsored posts and content creation collaborations with brands so far. Social Scoop is the podcast where we teach you, the entrepreneurial creator, to turn your online influence and creativity into a profitable, self-sustaining business. Today, we're here with Eric DeHaan, CEO of Open Influence, a platform that connects brands with some of the best creators in the industry. He's been named a Forbes 30 under 30 and started the company when he saw that there was a real opportunity for creators to help brands reach their goals. Today, we're diving into the state of the creator economy. What evolutions have we seen in the last 10 years? Are platforms like TikTok and Be Real here to stay? What's social commerce and what do we need to know about it as creators? We're giving you the scoop on all things the state of the influencer marketing industry in 2022. This, my biz BFF, is Social Scoop. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 52 of Social Scoop Podcast. My name is Kristen Busquen. As always, I'm so excited that you're here, that you're listening to this episode because it is a very, very exciting one. As you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, we have an incredible membership program that is truly designed for creators to become successful. Everything in this membership is offered at less than $10 a week, and you have access to things like resources and tools, a like-minded community that's going to help you soar, and personalized coaching with me. We actually just released a brand new exclusive membership-only podcast episode that you can listen once you get into the membership. You can check out the link down in the show notes if you want to join us in our membership, and I hope to see you guys there. So this week, we've got some really great news. First off, you can now officially schedule Instagram posts in the app. This is something that I know a lot of people were very excited for because so many of us are paying for additional apps to actually schedule things out. So the idea that we can actually do this in the Instagram app for free is really great. It's one less expense that we have in our businesses if you do choose to move on over to Instagram for scheduling. So right now, it is officially being tested with a large number of accounts, but users who have this feature can basically access it by going to the advanced settings area while they are creating a new post or a new reel. And there is a toggle on and off button for, quote, schedule this post. So you'll be able to select a date and a time and your post will be scheduled. You can actually see your scheduled posts and basically reschedule any of it if need be through the scheduled content section, which will be accessible under that hamburger menu where like settings would be. So that's where you'll be able to reschedule things or basically just see what you have planned. I'm so curious if you guys think that this is actually something that you'll use or not. I personally use later.com and I actually really love it because I get 
a lot more in-depth analytics. I have a lot more kind of viewing options on how I can actually view what my content will look like. So I don't know if I'll make the switch just yet, especially because I'm sure they'll be working out some kinks here. But I'm really curious to hear what you guys think. This piece of news really shocked me because it immediately reminded me of MySpace. Instagram is testing adding songs to profiles. Like, you know, when you had a song that would basically live on your MySpace profile, like you had your MySpace song. This is kind of what I'm seeing for Instagram. I think this is crazy. (laughs) So right now, this is an internal prototype. It's not being tested externally just yet. But from what we can see from these tests, you'll go to edit profile music, and then you can add a song to your profile. I think this is so nostalgic, guys. It really is. What song would you add to your profile? Like, I don't even know. I feel like I'd have to change it every week. Instagram is also working on the channels feature. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, we did talk about this a few weeks ago, but it seems like they're just really evolving a little bit more here with it. Basically, you'll be able to create a discussion channel that others can discover. So you can name your channel and customize the audience or basically who can join in on this discussion channel. Like you can make it public, private, all of these things, just like you can with a Facebook group. You can also choose to show this chat on your profile. So it'll live like near your bio and your links so that you'll be able to basically have easy access for your audience if they did want to join in on this chat channel. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like once you're actually in the channel. If you check out the show notes in the description, most of the screenshots that we've seen so far are really just getting the channel set up. So I'm really curious to see what this will look like and if it will start to replace Facebook groups. I don't know. Personally, as someone who has a Facebook group, if you're not in it, you should join it, by the way. As someone who has a Facebook group, I really can't see this being like a replacement because there's just so many features in groups that I think are so helpful for us to organize this whole conversation. So I'm not exactly sure how that'll work, but I'm actually really interested to see. So this was a really interesting piece of news. I had to share this with you guys. So many of you shared it with me. And I, first of all, I love that whenever you guys see something new, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to send this to Kristen. Honestly, that is like the most amazing thing. I love it. Walmart launches their own creator platform. So the program is called Walmart Creator, and it's a one-stop portal that makes it easy for creators to monetize shoppable products from Walmart. Creators who sign up will have access to tens of thousands of products and basically will be given the opportunity to earn revenue all while earning commissions on sales. So, and there's no cap here. So from what I understand of this, anyone can apply. There's no requirements. And once you are accepted into the Walmart creator program, you basically get kind of like a like to know it or a shop style collective kind of back end where you can choose products, find links for them, and then you earn commissions on the products when you share them and people purchase them through your links. So it seems like it's mostly an affiliate program. When I first heard this, I was like, oh, sick. They're going to like connect you with brands that are sold at Walmart. And you know, you can get partnerships from that. But from what I understand, that's not what it is. It is mostly uh, an affiliate program from all of the research that I did and what I could find. So I, as someone who really is not a big affiliate gal, I probably won't be joining this. But if you do, please let me know how it goes and if I should join it. 
Now, before we dive into our interview with Eric, I just want to let you guys know about our free Facebook community it has over 800 creators in it, and you'll be able to find the like-minded community that you need here to help answer all of the questions, all of the things that you're going through. People are sharing rates, helping each other connect with brands, and really telling everything about experiences that we're having as creators. So you can get in on that community down in the show notes, and I will see you there. All right, guys, I'm so excited for today's episode. We're going to be talking a lot about the creator industry and what it looks like now and what it's going to be looking like in the future, which is obviously some very valuable information for us to have. We have Eric, who's here from Open Influence, and he has a lot of expertise in this industry. So I'm very, very excited to have you here today, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So for anyone who doesn't know about you, about Open Influence, can you kind of just give us the rundown of who you are and what you do at Open Influence? Yeah. So we're an influencer marketing company. We have a network of about a million and a half influencers or, and content creators across all the various platforms. And really, our focus is to help advertisers best sort of navigate the creator economy, better connect with, with their community and customers and potential customers. Nice. And when did you guys get started, out of curiosity? We started the business way back when. So th- we started in 2013, and we were really one of probably the first in the industry to take our approach. So at the time, if you're familiar with the sort of creator economy and ecosystem, you had your talent agencies and your sort of blogger networks, which were like the first sort of real digital talent agencies. We had MCNs at the time. And Really, a lot of the solutions were on the supply side, so representing the talent. And we were really one of the first, if not the first, that came in with a true demand side focus, so helping the advertiser. And we said, well, you know, there's so many creators out there, and influence is sort of a byproduct of creators on social, right? And so we saw thousands and thousands of people emerging, building followings, building audiences. And we said, you know, this, from an advertiser's perspective, this is a really interesting alternative to some of the other forms of marketing, just way more organic, just way more authentic and and, right. and frankly, just relatable and, and fun, right? And so yeah. that's sort of how we got started. It's so crazy to think of the differences between what the creator economy looked like in 2013 versus now, because it's only been, what, you know, not even 10 years, but the differences are just so crazy because this is such a new industry. So you've really been able to see kind of like, the evolution, which I'm sure has been kind of wild to keep up with. Oh, yeah. I should probably write a book around the phases of, of the <laughs> of the industry, but we've, we've seen it go through these, like so many different growth phases where yeah. I would say sort of version one where we're like the talent side solutions, like the talent agency model. Then you had sort of initial software solutions and you had marketplace solutions and those went away. Then you had this sort of split between you know, uh, campaign management software and influencer marketing. Then you had agencies trying to dabble in it and bring it in-house and agencies outsource that. So like there's, there's been so many different sort of shifts. And then of course, like shifts between the platforms, right? So initially it was right. really Instagram and YouTube that made the bulk of influencer marketing and you had others nudge in a little bit. Um, but then I, I would say like the sort of big transformative one is TikTok where that's just taking a bigger share of the influencer ecosystem. 
Yeah, and I'd actually love to kind of talk a little bit more about TikTok. I know for me, I got on TikTok in late 2020, which actually felt kind of late at the time because so many other people had already like really built these large followings there. But there are still people today who are hesitant to get on TikTok. So for those people, you know, like, are you seeing more and more creators start to do more stuff just on TikTok, more brands that are looking for content for TikTok or TikTok content creators to work with? Is TikTok kind of becoming, you know, like one of the major players for you guys? Yeah, definitely. And it's all of the above, right? Um, we're seeing a lot of creators just emerging organically on TikTok. We're seeing um, many creators, you know, starting to focus more time building their audience on TikTok. Yeah. From a brand perspective, yeah. I mean, I, I would say over the past two and a half years, it's been really front and center. You know, we were working with TikTok back in the Musical.ly days, so before Musical.ly was acquired by TikTok. And brands were, you know, were excited about it, but the scope was pretty limited. Typically, we're mainly working with a lot of the movie studios to promote their original soundtracks. And that was sort of yeah. sort of the focus from our perspective. You know, maybe others were, were leveraging it other ways, but, you know, it felt like late 2019, or actually, sorry, I should say mid-2019, there was just a lot of excitement around TikTok overall, and advertisers just really started, you know, increasing their adoption from there. Yeah, one thing I am curious about to kind of get your opinion on with TikTok versus, say, Instagram, when we think about TikTok, for a lot of people, especially, you know, in the first few years of TikTok really blowing up, it was really easy to grow your following. And so the value of a follower on TikTok almost doesn't kind of have the same weight as the value of a follower on Instagram. So I'm always curious to kind of get perspective on this with from the brand side, you know, like are brands open to looking at a creator with 20,000 on Instagram and 20,000 on TikTok and paying them the same for each platform when they know that like maybe the TikTok audience isn't as dedicated and as loyal as say, you know, that same audience on Instagram. Yeah, I, I would say like we're at this period right now with TikTok, which really reminds me of like Instagram in 2012, 2013, uh, maybe 2014 now. But like, I would say seems less valuable just because if you hit it, you really hit it big on TikTok, which was yeah. how Instagram was too when it was getting started and YouTube, right? Like with any new platform, it's like the dust hasn't really settled yet. And so we're going in this direction of that really being the case. And so if you get in early as a company, or as, you know, really as a creator, if you get it early now, you could really build that audience up, which is kind of like, you know, if you're going to become a, you know, quote unquote, like fashion creator um, on Instagram, like it's really hard because there are a lot of great ones already on the platform. Yeah. And so you kind of have to find an, either a niche within fashion or, you know, create sort of a, a, address a content niche that's not really there. And even then it's like harder to grow. Um, so, so yeah, my, my advice is like, it's going to level out. Yeah. To where it's going to be hard, getting harder and harder to grow. But I think now we're in a really exciting period. Yeah, it's interesting. Even in the last six months, I would say I have started to see people talk about like, oh man, it's a lot slower on TikTok than it used to be. So it makes sense that it would level out, you know, at some point. And I'm actually curious to see like with YouTube shorts, is that going to be the case? You know, because it is so new, is this the time to get on YouTube shorts so that you kind of have the same you know, success that maybe people early on Instagram or on TikTok did 
even though it's an integration of YouTube that already exists, you know? Yeah, I'd say yes, right? It's like a new feature. Whenever a platform launches a new feature, they they tend to, there's a sort of a demand for more content. Right. And so they really reward the early adopters. You know, I know a couple of influencers that are, I should say creators, right, that have, you know, jumped onto YouTube shorts and they actually have never created an actual YouTube video. Yeah. They only create shorts and they're doing really well. And and just personally, I mean, it is a feature I love. Yeah. It's definitely something that I've actually seen a lot. Like you don't have to make long form YouTube content to be on YouTube. Like shorts alone is totally something that I've seen a lot of people do. So that's a good note for anyone who's listening, who is interested in getting on, but is like, I don't want to create long form content. So many people I feel like are scared of that at this point because yeah. we've gotten so comfortable with the 30 seconds or less or 60 seconds or less. That's right. And, and I think actually like, you know, what's interesting is you have you have TikTok starting to get into more longer form content or yeah. have aspirations to really build that out. But like YouTube is really interesting because YouTube is fantastic for longer form content. And so the shorts are just a great discovery tool where it's like, okay, go on there you don't really know what you want and you can then just easily just discover creators that you really want to subscribe to and so i found it super fascinating and just really sort of powerful that and then smart for youtube to adopt that feature set yeah i'm excited i just got on shorts not too long ago and it's it's been interesting to try and figure it out you know it's kind of like a game, just like all the other platforms, when you first yeah. get on them, you're like, all right, got to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Like, it's a, it's a whole thing. But it's kind of fun when you're along for that ride. Yeah, definitely. So there has very obviously been this shift from photo to video with the introduction of Reels on Instagram and TikTok just as a whole. Again, like we talked about really blowing up. What do you see for the future of photo? Like, do you think it's going to eventually become kind of irrelevant and everyone's going to really be shifting to video content? How do you think that will go? I don't think it'll be irrelevant, but I think like what we really crave is sort of unique content and content we can connect with. And so with photo, people used to say, like, oh, photo, you know, what says a thousand words, right? A picture says a thousand words, which is, you yeah, know, true. But I think this sort of massive influx that like apps like Instagram have enabled the people just to share their photos. I mean, we realize like how many times can we look at the same kind of version yeah. of an avocado toast picture, right? Like, <laughs> or, 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 you know, or someone standing in front of a pink wall, right? Like it's like, yeah. all right. Like, yeah, it says a thousand words, but I've read those thousand words so many times before. Right. So like, I'm, you know, so we're becoming desensitized a little bit with video. There's just so much more room for, packing in information, unique information. And so I think it just makes sense that we're naturally gravitating towards that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that trend's going away. It's a good point when you think of it that way. You know, like we really have seen, it's hard to be as original in photo as you can in video because there's just so many different elements versus just how you're taking a photo and what's in that photo. So it's a really good point. Um, I actually just recently saw that TikTok is introducing almost what looks like Instagram carousel posts. So it kind of has like the same outline and everything, the same format, and it automatically shifts through the carousel of images, which I actually was really excited about. I think it's interesting on a video only platform to introduce photo like that. But I think they're kind of answering everyone on Instagram who's like, we want to post photos. Like, We want our photos to get attention. We miss this being a photo app. 
And so in TikTok is like, come on, like we'll help you out over here. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Like I do think with TikTok, like the fact that the content is so consistent is re- was really so like and by consistent I mean like just the format of like yeah. you have a short video, you have a music overlay and that's kind of that's your sort of canvas. Right. It just makes it so great to just like jump through. So I'm, I'm curious to see like how if, if that you know as that photo what that looks like or longer form video because like creating a really great longer form video is very different than creating a great like 30 second clip. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it might have a lot of creators a little overwhelmed because we're just trying to like learn video and it's in such a short time and, and really get comfortable with that. But the idea of adding in like a 10 minute video for a lot of people, I think is going to be a little scary. So I, I'm definitely interested to see how that kind of works out as well. Yeah. I want to shift a little bit to kind of talk a little bit about creators and monetization with working with brands. Obviously, more and more creators now are realizing their value and they're, they're charging real money here for different collaborations and partnerships when they're working with brands. So how are brands kind of dealing with this? You know, like they're likely forced to kind of be a little bit more selective with the creators that they're working with, since a lot of these brands probably don't have the budgets to be working with hundreds and hundreds of creators, like maybe they used to when when creators didn't really know what to charge. So now yeah. that more creators are educated and really seeing their value, how are brands kind of approaching this? Brands are working with more and more micro influencers than they were before i think a big part of that is yeah as they get comfortable they're able to be more effective and work with more influencers as, as opposed to less but also big drivers of pricing a lot of influencers uh, obviously the large influencers are very expensive to work with right. but a lot of influencers in the mid-market are, are pretty expensive and i also think that in some cases like there's a lot of inflation on pricing that's happening and i say in some cases because you could have two influencers that on the surface might have the same stats, but if you're a pet brand, one might perform substantially better than the other. But right. but I think there's just so much demand in this space that some creators are really charging a huge premium or are charging a lot and they're getting away with it. But I don't know how sustainable that is. And so I think as we see sort of more of the social commerce functionalities get adopted and come out, that's probably going to sort of shine a light where brands are going to look and say, well, okay, well, if I'm paying you for awareness, that's one thing. But if I'm paying you for sort of just quasi-conversion, like I'm going to expect some sort of metric back. Right. And they're going to base the pricing off of that. So so I think there's going to be some sort of sort of adjustments happening for certain creators. But but again, it's really hard. It's hard for brands to figure out what the price is, hard for creators to figure out what to charge, you know, and so, right. and there's just a lot of factors and, and not, sometimes not too much transparency in how that results in sales, depending on the platform and the brand and the product. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's difficult too with some brands. I know previously where I've worked with maybe, you know, a wine company and a lot of people aren't going to be buying that wine online. They're going to buy it next time they're in the grocery store. So That's that's where I think it will be interesting to see, you know, like the things that you can't track, how will they kind of like figure out what's fair and what's not fair? Because again, like creators, I think are looking at, you know, how much time and energy and money is this taking me to create this piece of content, but also what's the value of my endorsement? You know, like 
I think about it. I've been a creator for over 10 years now. And so I've built so much trust with my audience in that time that I feel like I have more value than someone who just started last year and and is really just starting to kind of get their feet going or get their feet off the ground. And so it's hard to factor in like all of these different things and and figure out like what's fair and what's not fair. And and I wonder how that will change in the future. Because even with tracking sales, you know, there, like you said, there's brand awareness or what about brands who are just looking to, you know, get the content? Like they don't really even care how it performs. So it's just there's so many different avenues you can go down and so many different things that go into each of those that how can we ever have a norm? I don't know. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy world to navigate. That's for sure. But also speaking of monetization, obviously, I mean, in the last year, especially, I feel like maybe last two years, creators are definitely getting into other avenues of monetization. You know, it's not just about a sponsored post or, you know, working with a brand on some content anymore. A lot of these creators are, are creating brands or are branching out into other avenues of monetization. So yep. what do you see kind of becoming big for creators as a form of income, maybe in the next like five years, aside from just sponsored work? I think that's a really great question because I think in, in general, there is a big appetite and a trend towards other income streams that aren't brand deals, right? And so right. premium content or subscription sort of setups is one thing. Like that's that's not going to work for everyone. It's you know it's, it's going to work for certain types of creators um, better than others. On the brand side, I I am a real big believer that creators starting their own brands is it makes sense, right? They they get to own IP in something, so it's not right. it's not just doing deals, but being able to own IP in something. Uh, and build that out. Like I, I would say that's one of those things where that's sort of like the home run um, for a creator. And it's one like it's not easy to replicate. You can't just keep launching brands every week, right? But <laughs> it's one of those things where if you really do, it's you're starting a business, right? So if you have the right product for the right audience, you have the right sort of operational setup and management team to run it and all that. Like so, everything that goes into business, if you could do that, and as a creator you know, be the face of that and or, and or the operator behind that, that's your home run, I would say. Right. And it's not an either or, right? It's not like if you have other income streams, you're not going to be doing brand deals. It does afford creators to be a bit more selective. And I would say like the ones that can start their own brands, are, are, I would say are starting at the larger end of the mid tail up to like, you know, the sort of the short tail or like the, yeah. the, the big talent, right? So that's where it makes sense. And depending on how focused you are and what your niche is and everything else. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know as a creator myself, I think about how, I guess, unsustainable it is for you to survive just off of sponsored work because it's so inconsistent. You never know one month is going to be really great. One month might be crickets. And so it's hard to kind of navigate that, I think, without another stream of income. And I think for a lot of creators too, they build these brands up, they build these followings and you know, like you could stay there and just have that be it. But again, you're always going to be like, when's the next sponsored post coming? You know, when's the next brand going to answer my pitch or reach out to me? And so I almost feel like a lot of creators kind of use being a creator as a, a stepping stone again to kind of step into their own brands and businesses where they can have a little bit more, a little bit more of a guarantee that they're going to be making money and and also, we don't know what influencer marketing or, or the creator economy is going to look like 
in five years, things could be totally different. And so at least if you have something to kind of fall back on, if things do drastically change, I think it's really smart for creators to start kind of thinking about those things. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like the way I look at it, it's between cash up front versus kind of taking the risk on the back end. And what I mean by that is like a creator, they have the trust with the audience that they build. They have the sort of call it like simple like impressions with their audience, right? And it's, yeah. And if you look at that, it's like, well, you could do a brand deal and get the cash up front and convert that sort of connection with your audience to those impressions for cash, right? With, with, with that brand deal. Or you could invest that sort of, you know, that, that cash, that social capital into your own brand and take the bets that'll pay off later. Yeah. And so, and, and the truth is like, what's the right approach? It's going to be different for everyone, but it, it's going to be some mix of the two, right? So yeah. I think ultimately, uh, you know, and, and none of these are, you know, either mutually exclusive, right? You're, you're able to take brand deals and uh, start your own. The question is like, you know, if you're, let's say, a, a creator that talks about tequila all day, if you want your own tequila brand, well, that might cut, you know, that might distract from your brand deals. But right. if you launch a brand selling some sort of, you know, mixer with tequila or something, you know, something else that pairs well, yeah. right, with tequila, then it's, it doesn't sort of take away from your brand sponsorship opportunities. Yeah, I mean, for me, kind of where I stand with my business and my audience is, I've been a creator and I've, again, like established that trust with my audience. I've built this brand that I have, you know, with my audience and the connections and everything. And then a few years ago when we started Social Me, it was easy for me to kind of incorporate that in because I had already, again, built that trust and that loyalty with my audience. And and that was a problem that what I'm solving, I guess, for them is a problem I knew that they had. And so... I've been able to kind of build that business because financially I've been covered by all the sponsored posts. You know, like I would never have been able to build social mate if I wasn't doing sponsored posts to kind of like compensate myself for the time that I was spending building my business. So I think it definitely is a healthy mix of both until you get to a place where your business is able to bring in as much as you are with sponsored posts or more than you are with sponsored posts, then you can kind of make decisions from there. But I think it's kind of the same as like, if you're going to quit your full-time job and become a creator, you know, you have to financially make it make sense before you can make any big decisions. But it's the same for creators moving from just being a creator into being like a a full-blown brand. Yep, that's right. I want to kind of just shift a little bit again and talk about these kind of newer platforms, I guess, that are a little bit less perfect and a little bit less curated and more kind of in the moment or more, uh, I guess, where people feel like they can kind of be their real selves. Like I've heard a lot of people kind of say that about TikTok. You know, I feel so comfortable posting there. It doesn't have to be perfect. I can just post whatever I want. I don't even care. And then we also have Be Real, which I'll be honest, I'll be real. When I saw it, I was like, this is not going anywhere. But I've been really surprised to see that like, a lot of people are getting on be real and really gravitating gravitating towards that platform. Um, So like, what do you how do you think that those platforms are gonna are gonna go in the next few years, given that they really are places where people can't really be as curated, I guess, the sort of demand for authenticity i think it's kind of twofold right one one is the more sort of exposure we have to 
like advertiser type content or produced content or just highly curated content, the more we strive for human connection, I think sort of as a society, we're becoming slowly like sort of less social in person. And we're leaning more on sort of these digital social interactions instead. Right. And, and so, but I think we still crave that, you know, we still crave real social interaction, but we're trying to get it through the sort of fire hose of what we get through social platforms. So I think authenticity is sort of key to that. I also think like Gen Z in terms of values, like Gen Z really values authenticity. Millennials are more aspirational, you know, the same way, like uh, millennials, like inspiration as well, like Gen Z values pragmatism. And so you can see it if you're looking at just financial influencers on the two platforms, you know, or business, right? If you're looking at Instagram, it's all about the sort of emotional aspect and EQ aspect of, you know, believe in yourself, just do it, blah, 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 right? If you look at TikTok, it's all about the IQ. It's like, here are three ways to, you know, to make a 7% return on whatatever, right? So, you know, so, so it's like, we don't care about the emotional aspect that, you know, we're going to be pragmatic, right, about when it comes to financial advice. But yeah, so, so authenticity is one of those other values. And so, so I think I think it's being driven a lot by Gen Z, Gen Z playing a bigger part as a culture driver. Yeah. You know, with, with Be Real, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's growing and there's a lot of excitement around it. But I, you know, the other platforms have already launched their sort of versions of it and are, yeah. and, and, and are kind of just tweaking it. So to me, it's like, is this more of a feature or is it more of a standalone? And, right. you know, is it something that people are going to sustain? Like, okay, once the novelty wears off, like, are you really going to, yeah. you know, post daily on Be Real? Like, what happens when it's like the the eighth Tuesday at, you know, sometime between nine and five, you're like, how many fucking posts am I going to do from the office? <laughs> right. So, right, right, so, right. so, so, so there's, you know, there's, there's something to that. Yeah, I had actually just, when I saw that TikTok Now, is it, I think it's called TikTok Now, I saw that that was a thing and I was like, okay, I'll try it. And I did it for probably like a week and I was already kind of over it at that point because everyone really is like just posting the same thing. It's like selfie and then them like watching TV or their computer in front of them or them like out for a walk, you know, like how exciting I guess can it really be especially when again like people have routines and are doing the same things at the same time like so I personally have already kind of written it off um and you're right I think it is more of a feature than I like I can't see myself downloading an entire app and showing myself showing up there you know like every single day multiple times per day when I am already doing that like again on TikTok now or yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting kind of... Uh, there was another app that kind of came out. I can't remember what it was called. Maybe sometime last year. That I feel like, again, had like its few minutes. And then we were like, eh, okay, we're back to TikTok and Instagram. There was Clubhouse. Clubhouse had a lot of hype. Yeah, Clubhouse. Um, and, I like Clubhouse. I, I think the premise of Clubhouse is really good. I do think it's... Yeah. I mean, it's sort of an evolution of podcasting, which is like yeah. a social podcast where you can have that conversation you know, during the pandemic, I was like, holy shit, there really are a lot of people not working because yeah. <laughs> you're people spending eight hours a day on Clubhouse. But, but yeah, I mean, that, that sort of, I don't want to say fizzled, but I think kind of, kind of, you know, that, that hype definitely yeah. wore off. And yeah, it, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to, to create a successful social platform. And I think it's even harder to sustain it. 
Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Clubhouse, that's a really good point. I mean, I really loved Clubhouse. And I think it was great when people had a lot of time on their hands. But I think about the moment when I like got really deep back into work, I just didn't have time to sit around and like, listen to, you know, people talking and and get in on the conversation, pay attention enough that I could get in on the conversation because I was working. (laughs) So I think it's just, it was great while it lasted. I wish there was like a way for me to really incorporate it into my routine now, but I just don't think it's something that's really feasible. Um, Another thing I was thinking about with Be Real and TikTok now is like kind of a concern of, of safety. Like I think about myself as a creator on stories for Instagram stories. I never post where I am on stories because I don't know who's watching that and who's gonna, you know, like come find me. And, you know, I watched way too many true crime TV shows and podcasts (laughs) for that. So I'm curious, like, I wonder what their thoughts were when they were building this, this, I, you know, the concept of like, here's what I'm doing right now. Like, what was their thought on safety? I don't know. With Be Real specifically, you know, I, I think the approach is more so with friends, right? Um, right. So in that case, it's sort of a different ball game that, like, security is less concerned. It's like if you look at Venmo and PayPal, right? You know, I think PayPal bought Venmo, right? But like, yeah. If you look at Venmo, Venmo did not have a lot of the same security features that PayPal did. Why? Because you're sending money to friends. Like, you, you, you know, yeah. It, it's not like you know you hung out, you know, with your friend Steve you know, but, oh, no, he's actually, you know, overseas, you know, and it's part of some right, scam, right. you know, it's like, that, that's not really the case, right? But, but with PayPal, it's like, you're sending money to merchants, right? That's why it was really started. Right. And so you don't know who those merchants are, you don't know if they, they are who they say they are. And so there, there's, a, you don't know where in the world they are. And so right. I think depending on what the intention is, it's, it is very different, right? Stuff that you'll share you know, in a WhatsApp group is going to be very different than something I'll share on, on Instagram. And so yeah, that's a good point. I think it really comes down to um, sort of the intention there um, around where, where the content gets shared and to who. Yeah. You just have to be a little more mindful, I guess, of who you're letting into your circle. Whereas, you know, like on Instagram, TikTok, you're like, yeah, I don't care. Whoever can follow me. Sure. <laughs> it's interesting to think about. Definitely. Another thing that's kind of popping off too is is the idea of social commerce obviously in general you know like even thinking about in the last couple years with instagram you know literally redesigning the entire app to have a shopping area or you know like i know now they're going to be doing uh ads on the explore page and profile feed ads like when when you click on someone's picture in their feed and you're scrolling through, there will be ads that are in there that the creator can kind of monetize through. I mean, there's shopping on the internet has just evolved so much. I mean, shopping on social platforms specifically in the last few years. What do you see that looking like in the future? Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm a big believer in social commerce as the sort of next big thing. If you look uh, China, for example, and I, I believe China is like about five years or more ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to social media adoption. Like, I mean, social commerce is key, right? And, and, and very successful. But there have been some stories in the news around Facebook, Instagram sort of struggling to really get their social commerce off the ground. But I don't think it's something they could abandon. I think that it's necessary for them to be successful at it because yeah. all their revenue now comes from advertisers trying to drive sales, right, on, online. 
And with all the sort of privacy and sort of issues around cooking and pixel tracking, sort of create, creating all, all these sort of issues for, for Facebook and others, right? But they have to be able to help those advertisers sell. Right. And the best way to do that is to own the customer journey within their ecosystem. And so I think fundamentally, like this is, there's no sort of way around it. Like this is going to have to work. The question is like, yeah. you know, which platform is going to be the smartest one to, to getting it off the ground? You know, TikTok did something really interesting where over the past, I want to say year and a half to two years, I could be totally wrong on that timeline, but they've been testing out fulfillment by TikTok and they tested it out in two countries. I think it was UK oh, and I want to say Malaysia. And they just announced last week that they're bringing it to the US. And so Crazy. that is going to be incredible is that going to compete and replace amazon i think there's going to be some overlap but do it now i mean you know amazon if you want to go yeah. buy your sort of regular stuff you go to amazon if you want you know if you need batteries you're going to go to amazon you're not going to go to tiktok right but in terms of discoverability uh tiktok's just a huge engine for product discovery and so yeah to come across these sort of TikTok brands and being able to purchase them directly on the platform and have TikTok being able to control the customer service, the fulfillment, making sure that they're real merchants, kind of everything. Right. That's going to be big. And so, and so I'm really excited for that. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, social commerce is going to be massive and it's going to really, I would say, um, it's going to change how my business is done for sure. A lot of what we sell now is sort of top of funnel and mid funnel. So like awareness, focus consideration focused, right? Um, but like conversion is a bit harder because the platforms don't really offer a good path to conversion. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that once social commerce really sort of gets to the level of adoption needed, it, influencer marketing is really going to be full funnel and that's super exciting. Yeah, it actually kind of reminds me, I was reading somewhere in the last couple of days something that I, it just was so eye-opening. I don't know why, like I knew this, but seeing it in writing was really like kind of hit me in the face. And it was talking about how influencers are marketers, but they're not salespeople. Like, because you think about it, you know, I can get someone to be interested in a product, but like my job stops once they get to the website, you know, or, or to the purchasing area, whether it's on Instagram or whatever, because, you know, if a brand has their website set up in a way that is confusing or frustrating or annoying, like, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to make sales. Like it, it has to kind of, you know, the customer journey obviously has to be easy for them to actually complete the purchase. But I thought about that and I was like, it, because it was actually um, a creator coach who was talking about how she had um, a brand reach out to one of her students and the brand was like, oh, we need to like guarantee this much in sales. And she was like, well, my people, like, they're not salespeople. They'll, they'll get them to the website, but we don't know what happens after they hit the website. I would add to that. Like, and that's a great point. Like, I would add, like, that depending on the product and stuff, like, the purchasing cycles might be different. So, you know, even just beyond that, like, I, I believe there's sort of two aspects, right? One is generating demand. So, hey, I want that, or I would, I, I will want that, or that's going to be yeah. my go-to when I have this need. And then the second is capturing the demand. And so... A good example of that would be like AdWords is a good example of capturing the demand. I need a new cordless power drill or whatever, right? Or I need a new garden hose. I, I don't know. I'm picking like 
how stuff works. I have this need for this thing. Yeah. I'm going to go online. Okay. You know, three best garden hoses, right? Okay, great. Boom. Like capturing demand. I'm already demanding it. When you just kind of put yourself right there before the point of purchase, right? Yes. That's what Amazon's all about when you have products being marketed there. But if I look at generating the demand, it's like, well, that's where sort of branding comes in. I'm not going and saying, I want a jacket and then sort of sorting through like, I'm scrolling I'm like, wow, that's a really cool jacket. Like that's a cool brand. Right. And so the, the demand is being generated. It might be summer and I don't need a jacket now, or I might not just want to spend the money or I might want to buy it, you know, over the weekend or whatever. But like, yeah. I'm like, wow, that's cool. That's interesting. And so that's really the difference. And influencer marketing is extremely effective for generating demand. I would say like marketers make the mistake when they look at it and say, oh, we want to capture demand too. Yeah. It's like, well, it can. The the funnels aren't aren't great, like we're mentioning earlier, but like you're not really, you know, that that's not really what it's for. Right. Uh, you know, and, and like maybe if it's an impulse buy, sure. Or like it's a really targeted message where it's like, hey, you know, you're thinking about starting a website and you just watched a YouTube video about you know, building a website, use my promo code here. Like, okay, like that's a really, you know, yeah. you, you could do that. But I would say typically you're in the business of generating demand and getting people interested, yes. not of just trying to capture existing demand. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Again, like as soon as I saw it in writing, I was just like, wow, that really makes sense. Like, I really like that. It's an interesting kind of point to think about as a creator. I just want to talk a little bit about being a good brand partner. And this kind of, I guess, almost plays off what we were just mentioning. You know, I think about this a lot. You know, when I have a brand who hires me, I obviously want to do my best. I want to, you know, like I want to drive as many people to their website. I want to make as many sales as I can. Like, obviously, my goal is to be a good brand partner and help them fulfill whatever campaign goals that they have. However, Obviously, that doesn't always happen the way that I want it to with, you know, my content doesn't get pushed out or, you know, maybe there was something we need to change in the video to make it better, whatever. And so sometimes you're kind of not able to like, I guess, provide them with the exact result that they were looking for, but you're still kind of doing everything in your power. Um, it's like a frustrating situation. I feel like a lot of creators kind of get into so like, how can creators be good brand partners and, and really help to drive more sales to their partners' products? And when that doesn't happen, how can creators kind of, I guess, manage expectations or, or just, you know, still ensure to the brand that like, I'm doing everything I can, I guess. Brands just want to know they have someone good to work with and they want to feel like they, they have someone easy to work with and that's going to be reasonable. Uh, and so to give you an example... What that doesn't look like is when an influencer is kind of kicking up and causing a fuss over post dates being moved or, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, so, so, so I, I think they just want someone easy to work with and like, that's going to be reasonable. I think they want someone that really cares about the brand. Second, it's like, just be communicative. Right? Like, I, I think the other thing brands fear is like going silent. Cause like the they, brands have deadlines. They, they make commit, like, People on the brand teams are making commitments, their bosses and, you know, and others and everything else. And so like, right. they don't want to go and say like, oh my God, I told everyone this person's going to be posting this week. And if they don't, I'm screwed. Like, so just like be communicative. Let, let, let them know that you're on top of it. Like that, that's really most of it. Um, right. I would say like, yeah, things like being reasonable on price and stuff, but like, you know, set, set a price that makes sense. I would say like the biggest driving factor is they just, 
they just want to like you. Like they just yes. want to like working with you because like if you're a pain in the ass, they're right. you're gonna find someone else to work with. Yeah, you know, it's so it's like so great to hear you say that because I think so many creators have this notion of like I have to have this many followers, it has to make this much money in sales, like it ha there's all these like logistical steps that they feel like they have to hit and it's just so yeah. not the case. Like the more and more people that I, I interview, the more and more people that I talk to on this podcast say the exact same thing. We want a great brand partner. That means someone who really loves the brand, someone who's on our side and is going to, even if they're not getting paid and someone asks for a recommendation, you're recommending that product, you know, like you really enjoy the product and you're a great partner to work with. That's something that I've heard from brands in response to, you know, working with me is like, we just really love working with you because you're very professional and reliable. And like, we know we can count on you, which it sounds crazy is really hard to find in creators because working on the other side, when I was managing campaigns, I was floored at the amount of people who would just, again, not respond to emails or like they'd get the product and would just never post. Like it's so crazy to, to see it from the other side. And I don't think a lot of creators understand that like not all influencers are great communicators or great business partners necessarily. And that really gives you a leg up. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and what you said about like the barriers, like in terms of like audience size and stuff like, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, the bigger you are, the more sort of deal flow you're going to get just naturally because you're more visible, but like, yeah, that shouldn't stop you. Like if you're, especially if you're focused, right? Like if you're focused, if there are, there are a handful of brands that will really resonate well with your audience that you really love, send an email out to the brand and say like, Hey, I would love to partner with you. Yeah. And like, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. And the brands will be like, great. Like the, the brands are looking for people. Now I would say the, the trick is how do you make sure you don't just do it for in exchange for free product? Cause like mm -hmm. that's a concern because creators like I can't pay my bills with, you know, yeah, free shoes or whatever, maybe. <laughs> so a t-shirt yeah. like that's good. But, but you know, work something out with the brand, be reasonable. Yeah. Make be it make sense to be a good partner. <laughs> make it make sense. That's right. <laughs> That's the moral of this entire conversation. Just make it make sense. Yeah. That's, <laughs> well, that's Eric, right. Yeah, thank you. This was such a great conversation. It really is so cool to kind of hear from someone who's on the other side. I know a lot of creators don't really get that opportunity. So the fact that you were on here sharing with us today is so special. And everyone listening, I know definitely appreciates it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course, you guys can find all of Eric's information, Open Influences information below. You guys can go give them a follow, check them out. And as always, we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Social Scoop brought to you by Your Social Mate, where we help entrepreneurial creators learn how to monetize and turn their online influence into a legitimate, profitable, and self-sustaining business. We hope you absolutely love this episode and come back every Tuesday for a new one. If you really enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review here and send us a DM to let us know your favorite part. We're an open book if you ever want to discuss episodes. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at KBOUSQ. We'll see you next week.